Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 30. This chapter is essentially an appendix to the instructions related to the construction of the tabernacle and its rituals. As I mentioned in chapter 25, the tabernacle complex had three zones. These are, in descending order of holiness, the Holy of Holies, the Holy Place, and the Outer Court. Typically, as God was describing the furniture and accoutrements associated with each zone, he began with the most important item. So in chapter 25, he began with the Ark of the Covenant, the most important item in zone one, the Holy of Holies. Then later in chapter 25, he began to describe the table and the lampstand, the most important items in zone two, the holy place. Then in chapter 27, he began to describe the bronze altar, the most important item in zone three, the outer court, and so forth. Here in chapter 30, we return then to some items of lesser importance from the outer zones. There's only one item in zone one, the Ark of the Covenant. So these are ancillary items associated with the outer zones. That's what's going on in chapter 30. Now, that isn't to say that the arrangement here is without meaning. J. Alec Manchir sees meaning, particularly in the way that the lamp in the outer court described in chapter 27 and the altar of incense, described here at the beginning of chapter 30, form a sort of bracket set around the discussion of the priesthood. He believes that is very much intentional. He says, We must simply let the symbolism speak to us of the outshining light and the uprising incense. On the one hand, we, each and every believer, as his priestly people, have the priestly duty of bringing to the church and to the world the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 4-6. And, on the other hand, of making sure that the voice of prayer is never silent in priestly intercession. In all of this, Jesus, of course, is the perfect light, John 1, 9 and John 8, 12, and the perfect intercessor, Hebrews 7, 25. And he sets us an example of our priestly priorities, closed quote. That may be so. And it certainly does square with how these symbols are used throughout the New Testament. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top, and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding, on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them, and they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, 
where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Now, just a quick reminder here that will help you keep these items straight in your mind. If an item is overlaid with gold, then that item belongs either in the most holy place or the holy place. Items in zone one and two are overlaid in gold. Items in the outer court, zone three, are overlaid in bronze. This altar is overlaid in gold. Therefore, we can visualize it standing just in front of the curtain that leads into the Holy of Holies. So if you were a priest and you entered into the tent proper, into the holy place, you would have seen this altar of incense standing just in front of the entrance to the most holy place. As a priest, you would never have passed this altar in order to go into the most holy place. That would only have been done by Moses or Aaron or whomever was the high priest in later years. As Machir said above, it seems very likely that the incense was intended to symbolize the prayers of God's people. Remember, this tabernacle was based upon some kind of heavenly blueprint. And in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, the Apostle John was given a vision of the throne room in heaven. In Revelation 5.8, the text says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, closed quote. So right there, it refers to bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So I think we're on very solid ground in making this equation. The atonement on its horns, mentioned in verse 10, is to happen once a year. This became part of the ritual associated with the Day of Atonement, which is described in greater detail in Leviticus 16. We jump back into the text at verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from twenty years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel, when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. These verses describe the census and the poll tax. Now, we're not entirely sure why it was considered so dangerous to conduct a census. We know that it was. 
Joab was very much opposed to David's desire to conduct a census in 2 Samuel 24, and as it turned out, with good reason. The most likely explanation is that the main reason to conduct a census was to begin making preparations for war. And according to the Bible, only God could declare war, which he generally did through a recognized prophet. So when David conducted a census, it was, in essence, a usurpation of the divine right. And it was met, predictably, with divine wrath. So, taking a census was dangerous business. You better be sure that this war had been authorized by God, or you were putting yourself in position for divine chastisement. It's also interesting to note that everyone paid the same amount here, whether rich or poor, and all the money went to the care of the Tent of Meeting, which is another name for the tabernacle. There was a Tent of Meeting before the tabernacle was built, a sort of proto-tabernacle, But then once the tabernacle was built, it was also sometimes called the tent of meeting. The point is that the money from the poll tax ended up here. It was used to support the worship. The idea was that the tabernacle belonged to everyone equally, and therefore everyone needed to contribute. As I've said before, giving is one of the main ways that we express humility, dependence, and allegiance in our worship, Old Testament and New. We jump back into the text at verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze, with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, They shall wash with water, so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring, throughout their generations. As I mentioned above, items overlaid in gold belonged in the most holy place, or the holy place, whereas items of bronze belonged in the outer court. So here, the basin of bronze was for the priests to wash up in before they entered the tent proper, the holy place, or in the case of Aaron and the subsequent high priests, the most holy place. The symbolism here is very important. While the high priest and the regular priests were only fully bathed once, initially, as part of their ordination service, they had to wash their hands on an ongoing basis if they wished to draw near unto the Lord. The idea, of course, is that just as we are only saved once by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, nevertheless, if we want to draw near to God in prayer and service, we must wash our hands and we must purify our hearts, as it were. Hebrews 12, 14, for example, tells us to strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So, Old Testament and New, there is a connection between holiness and presence and power, a principle which we have seen before in the book of Exodus. Verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, 
and 250 of aromatic cane and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all its utensils, and the lampstand, and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, with all its utensils, and the basin, and its stand. You shall consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. First of all, let's just notice how involved God is in even the smallest details related to the worship of his people. This is a recipe for anointing oil. You might have thought that this detail could be delegated out to the priests or even the Levites, but no. Even the recipe for anointing oil is something that matters to the Lord. And as we see now in the next paragraph, so too does the recipe for the making of holy incense. Verse 34, the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacked and onica and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. As I mentioned, it is remarkable to us as modern-day Bible readers to encounter these sorts of precise instructions related to what we've already identified as ancillary accoutrements in the tabernacle. We wonder why God is so involved in these apparently minor details. J. Alec Machir, again, is helpful here. He says, any sort of casual assumption that whatever we do sincerely is as valid in heaven as it may be enjoyable on earth, finds no endorsement in the Bible, closed quote. At the very least, I think the point in all this would be that what we do when we worship apparently matters a great deal to God and therefore must be carefully checked against whatever instructions may be found in Holy Scripture. That deduction seems verified by the fact that in verses 26 to 28, the text says that not only were the priests anointed with the specially made anointing oil, but also the tent, the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, the basin and its stand, and all associated utensils, meaning that the anointing oil was used to identify divinely approved accoutrements. 
the oil said, in essence, this item has been sanctioned for use in holy worship. That ought to give us pause. That ought to remind us to be thoughtful about whatever items or elements we bring into our times of corporate worship. Paul's instructions about dress and appearance and attitude in 1 Corinthians 11 seem to reflect this same sense of caution and respect. We must never forget that the Lord is holy, and we must never be casual with the means he has provided for our atonement and approach. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped. I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for Into the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the Into the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Just click on the Give tab and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the Fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.